Well, friends, we live in an unprecedented time. In the midst of dealing with this pandemic and the disruption that it has brought into every one of our lives, the relational disruption, the just even health disruption, whether you get the sickness or your, your, your rhythms and patterns of, of eating and exercise are disrupted, the, the economic and financial disruption that it's brought. In the midst of this incredible disruption as we're, we're trying to, to live into this new normal, we're also reminded that some things don't change, that there's still racial injustice in our world today. And in response to this and the recent killings that have made the headlines, people all over the world have risen up in protest. It's not confined to any particular place, but every major U.S. city, every state, and now around the world, people are standing up against racism and racial injustice. And in this incredible time of disruption and change, everyone is forced to put in is forced to be put in position of making choices, of making decisions. What kind of world do we want to create? And what actions are we willing to take to create it? And as God's people, we are, we're no different. We are in the midst of needing to make choices. And, and in a time of disruption, the choices are a bit more clear before us. So, you know, when we're just coasting through life, we can kind of go with the flow and we're still making choices that are leading to those ends, but we might not think about it. But now, friends, now we're aware of our choices and how they can impact the well-being of others and how they can impact and address the issues of injustice in our world. And as the church, as God's people, we need to ask, what is God's desire? What kind of world is God wanting to create? And what actions is he desiring that his people make in order to create it? Over the next four weeks, beginning this week and the following three, we're going to look specifically at that question. What does God really want? What does God require? And we're doing it looking at a pivotal passage in Micah chapter 6 verse 8 and I'm going to read it for us Micah or uh, Jacob read the passage already but I'm going to read the text that will be in the next four weeks Micah 6 verse 8 God is speaking to his people through his prophet Mike and he says he that's God has told you O man it's literally O human being God has told you O man what is good and what the Lord really wants from you what does God require he wants you to carry out justice to love mercy and faithfulness, and to live obediently before your God. Three actions God wants. And he includes a verb. He includes a verb with all of them. Do justice. Love chesed. That's faithfulness or mercy. And to walk humbly with God. What does God really want? He doesn't want his people to just preach about justice and love and walking with God. He doesn't want his people to just think about it and read about it. He wants action. Do justice. Love, mercy, and faithfulness. And to walk humbly with God. And as I was thinking about this, you know, at Scarlet City, talking about racism and injustice, you know, this isn't new to us as a church. We've had a number of sermons on the topic. We've had panels at our church. We've had seminars. And, and all of that is good. And yet it is not enough. It's not enough to merely learn 
What does God want? But we must, as Micah says God wants, we must live this. It must lead to action in our lives. And so as a church, we're entering into a season of really thinking about how can we be discipled into action. And toward that end, as I was thinking about how to engage, it occurred to me, I was thinking, you know, what are the barriers to action? What prevents us from really being led by God to apply what he's saying right here? And, and so I want to share kind of the, the underneath that prevents us from living out and engaging in this way in the world. And there's four things I want to draw from our text this morning. Four observations, four roadblocks or barriers that can prevent God's people from doing justice, from loving faithfulness, and walking humbly with God. The first barrier is opening ourselves to God's correction. Are we, this is a question we need to ask ourselves, are we really open to being led by God? Are we open to God's, to use a church word, God's rebuke? In the text, it begins, verse 2, hear the Lord's accusation. He, uh, Micah presents this as a courtroom and God's people are on trial. Hear the Lord's accusation. For the Lord has a case against his people. He has a dispute with Israel. You know, in the time of Micah, um, God's people had been divided between the northern and southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. This was about the 8th century BC. And there was at this time this anxiety and fear of Assyrian power and domination. Assyria was a rising in power at the time, and, and God's people were afraid that they were going to come over and, and conquer them. And we know a few years after this that that's exactly what would happen. The northern kingdom of Israel would be conquered by the Assyrian Empire. But there, so there was this anxiety at the time of an external power and evil. And God says, wait, before you put Assyria on trial, I'm putting you on trial. That there's an injustice and evil, not just outside the walls, not just outside the camp of my people, but inside the camp of my people. And Amos and Isaiah and Micah here, they all are speaking and addressing injustices in amongst God's people. And we know at the time that there was incredible uh, wealth inequality, that, that the power and wealth and resources of the top, People in the country was vastly different from everyone else. There was a rampant idolatry. There was the disenfranchisement of the poor. And these are issues that God sees as justice issues. And so Micah is writing to this, and the real problem was their leaders. He puts it this way. Uh, Bruce Waltke, who's an incredible Hebrew scholar, he puts it this way. He says, Tragically, prophets and priests in Micah's time were in cahoots with the corrupt bureaucrats in the royal court. Their villainy infected the entire nation, making it cynical and corrupt. In order to ingratiate themselves with rich and ruling classes, the hireling prophets, you hear that? The hire, they were paid off. The hireling prophets fatally preached I am's gracious attributes at the expense of his righteousness and justice. Micah, filled with the spirit of justice, preached judgment upon sin and grace for the repentant. Whereas his depraved rivals were filled with lust, greed, and selfish ambition, Micah was filled with zeal for the oppressed, the telltale sign that he was full of I am's spirit. 
Do you hear that? Micah was filled with zeal for the oppressed. The telltale sign that he was full of I am spirit. When we are not, like Micah, filled with zeal for the oppressed, when we, like Micah, do not exhibit the telltale sign of God's spirit, are we open to correction? Do we have a posture within us that is, that is able to hear from God something needs to change? Friends, unfortunately, the American white evangelical church needs to course correct. We have a poor track record of standing up against racial injustice. And are we as a community of faith, are you personally, do we have a posture that's able to hear from God, to be corrected by God? Or are we merely concerned with the evils and wickedness of others outside the walls of the church? Are we open to hear? If we're not open to hear, it doesn't matter anything else we can say. It doesn't matter anything else we can read. If we're not able to God correcting us and changing our course to be more in more alignment with his will, what he really wants, and we can preach all, we can have all the seminars, we can have all the conversations, but change won't happen. Is there openness to being corrected by God? And then this leads us, or we're reminded that God's correction is rooted in his story, his holistic gospel. And here another road barrier is minimizing the scope of God's redeeming work. Minimizing the scope of God's redemption. In the text, verse 3, God says, My people, how have I wronged you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. The people of God are in some ways complaining to God. You know, they're on the stand and it's like that classic defensive posture. Like, oh, you have a problem with us, God. Well, well, we have a problem with you. God says, what have I done to you? Verse 4. In fact, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I delivered you from that place of slavery. I sent you leaders. I sent Moses, Aaron, Miriam to lead you. You're saying, I'm adding burdens on your life. I've relieved burdens. And in case some of, some of the people were thinking, oh, you know, God, there you go again, back in the day. You know, that was back then. What about, what about now? What about recently? In verse 5, God recounts the continuing protection and deliverance that he's provided his people. And here's the thing, the question. What kind of salvation did God bring his people as it relates to Egypt? What kind of salvation? Was it just a spiritual salvation? Did God come and just save them from their sins? No. It was spiritual. He's going, to, he's, he's going to establish a kingdom and he's going to establish a priesthood and a way of entering God's presence. But it wasn't just that. It was physical. A God's gospel story both is about him redeeming and reconciling the physical and the spiritual world. Jesus does this when he speaks about the kingdom that he's bringing into the world. We just 
have been studying this in the Sermon on the Mount, which is a whole message of the kingdom of God, where Jesus says, flourishing are the poor in spirit. Flourishing are the meek. He's establishing a whole new way of relating that can lead to personal wholeness, not just in the kingdom to come, but in the kingdom of the here and now. The Apostle Paul says this. He picks up on this in Colossians chapter 1. He says, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, all things. Jesus is uniting, reconciling all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Paul's saying, look, Jesus' reconciliation on the cross and resurrection, he is uniting all things. And you see, why am I saying all this? Here's why. The story of the Bible is a story of God's cosmic, holistic, renewal of all things. God created the world and he created human beings in his image. Every human being is worthy of love and protection and justice. And sin entered into the world and it fractured our relationship with God. It fractured our relationship with ourselves. Adam and Eve, they cover themselves. They live in shame. It fractured their relationship with each other. Immediately they start blaming one another. It fractured their relationship to work and and child rearing, it it fractured, one could say, the systems. Sin is so pervasive, it's like a pandemic that spreads and infects everything. And Jesus is coming to reconcile and make new and make right all of it. And the story ends, it begins in this garden, and it ends in a garden city where Jesus will return and make all things new. He will renew all things and we will have we will have physical body friends. We're not going to heaven is not floating around in clouds, but there will be physical bodies, a physical city and people whose physical traits reflect the beauty of God's amazing creation. People from every tribe, nation and tongue. This is the reconciling work of God. The gospel is not good news of just of simply future salvation, just being saved and then just plodding along through life. Notice the good news of future salvation and the good news of present transformation. And it is God's, what he really wants is for his people to be about his kingdom purposes in the world today. One roadblock to pursuing justice and love and humbly walking with God is minimizing his gospel story work. And the irony, the irony, friends, is that many Many pastors, many Christians will say that justice work compromises the gospel. They will say that justice work is a distraction from the gospel. And there's a reason that they do this. It's what they've been taught. It is a product of enlightenment modern thinking and an American individualism that just wants to make it about me and my walk with God. And it is a product of white supremacy and racism. As God's people, you know, early around the Civil War, uh, the church and many evangelicals, they were about justice. They were the pioneers and leaders in it. But eventually, the call to give up power was too much. And so they changed the gospel. They made it about simply personal salvation with God, relieving themselves from needing to invest in the social issues of their time. And that perpetuation continued into the civil rights movement where it was Martin Luther King Jr. and many African-American pastors said, where is this call? Where is justice? And the call was, there were 
white pastors who did not have ears to hear. And so, friends, justice, far from being a distraction of the gospel, is the very essence of the gospel. Do we have ears to hear? Are we, or are we minimizing the scope of God's work? And then this, this leads to the next thing, a barrier is that when, we don't, when we're not internalizing God's grace. You see, we must understand that, that justice is to be brought socially, but also we must be justified through the finished work of Jesus between us and God. Look at the text in verse 6. God's people are responding now. They say, with what should I enter the Lord's presence? With what should I bow before the sovereign God? In the ancient Near East, anytime you entered a temple or into the presence of God, you needed to bring something. You need to bring some kind of sacrifice. And here the worshiper, they think they can buy off God. They think God is just like some other, uh, some politician or some prophet, that if they give him money, he'll get off their back. Should I enter his presence with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? With, will the Lord accept a thousand rams or ten thousand streams of olive oil? Should I give him my firstborn child as payment for my rebellion, my offspring, my, whole, my own flesh and blood for my sin? No, God never commanded this. Right? He never commanded this. But do you see what they hear? This is so important. God brings an accusation. The response initially, God, you have an accusation against us. Well, we have an accusation against you. You're, you're too heavy-handed, God. And God says, do you not see? Do you not remember the ways I've delivered and protect you? I am for you. And then their response to that is not a heart that says, yes, God, thank you for the ways you have worked and redeemed. But it's a heart that says, that feels burdened, feels burdened by the call for justice. Well, what then can we do, God? Is it not enough that we give this? Do you want more? And they miss that what God wants, the way God works, is he always provides the sacrifice. God doesn't just some, want something from them. He wants something for them. He wants them. He wants them that it's about Grace. I mean, this is why Paul, again, says in, first Col in Colossians 1, through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, that Jesus made peace between us and God through the cross. That if we're going to extend justice socially, we need to experience justice and mercy personally. You know, Brian Stevenson, an American lawyer and author, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, and he wrote the book Just Mercy that was recently made into a film. He puts it this way, speaking of the need to experience grace and mercy personally in order to extend it to others. He says, there is a strength, a power even, in understanding brokenness because embracing our brokenness creates a need and desire for mercy. And perhaps a corresponding need to show mercy. When you experience mercy, you learn things that are hard to learn otherwise. You see things you can't otherwise see. You hear things you can't otherwise hear. You begin to recognize the humanity that resides in each of us. I love that. Begin to understand the humanity 
that resides in each of us. Friends, it doesn't matter how much money you have, what names you can drop, how far up the ladder in your career you've climbed, what school you've gone to, gone to, what amount of justice work you're invested in. All of us need God's mercy. And praise God, he provides through Jesus. If we're going to extend mercy and justice and love to others, we got to experience it personally first. Road barriers to acting justly and loving uh, faithfulness and walking humbly with God. The, the barriers that prevent us from doing this, are we opening ourselves to God's correction? Are we minimizing his work? Are we internalizing his grace? And then lastly, are we prioritizing God's priorities? Are we keeping central the things that God keeps central in the text? Now we've finally made it to verse 8. In response to God's people saying, you know, what does God want? <laughs> he says, he has told you, O man, what is good. In other words, this isn't hidden. It's not secret sauce recipe. This is what God has always been saying. What the Lord really wants from you. Do you hear that? What the Lord really wants. The verb here that we translate really wants is the idea of something that's essential it's a requirement. Some translations say, what is God's requirement for you? You know, when I think of a requirement, I think of uh, requirements that a software program needs in order to run on a system. There are certain system requirements. I think of a uh, requirement being of if you want to get your driver's license, you have to be 16 years old. If you show up at the, at the DMV and you are 14, they're not going to give you a license. It doesn't matter how smooth a talker you are. There's a requirement and you don't meet it. I think of uh, uh, to graduate with a degree. There are certain classes that are requirements. You cannot graduate unless you take or satisfy these requirements. What God's saying is there are some things that are required, that are essential. There are electives, things that are important, and there are requirements. Do we focus our energy on electives or on what God requires? And he's very clear, and it's not just here in Micah. We see it all throughout the prophets, all throughout the Bible. What are God's requirements? Justice, love, and walking humbly with just this past week, Pastor Jacob and I were, were hanging out and talking, and, and, and Jacob asked, he said, do you ever worry that uh, we might be way off on uh, some really important, pivotal truth? And we, we talked through a few of the examples of things we might be wrong on, and, and you know, and, and he brought up, and we know that um, the Bible says that pastors and preachers and teachers of God's word are held to a high account. They're gonna, we're going to be held, I'm going to be held accountable to God. And I don't take that lightly. Jacob doesn't take that lightly. That, that brings a certain element of, of healthy fear, of, uh, of knowing we'll have to give an account. 
and and that sobers us up to to have this conversation. Are we really aligning our heart with God, or is it something else? But as we were processing it, it brought us back to, you know, there's so many things we don't know. There's so many things we don't know. Uh, you know, life is so full of gray, and the Bible uh, always treats it that way. There are some things that are not completely clear, some doctrines, some preferences we have. And the choice I think that we have to make in life is are we always going to try to fight, to come back to the things that are clear, the clear priorities that God has laid out from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack those three clear priorities that God really wants. And I want to invite you to engage. We're going to, we're going to, get, we're going to define terms. But as we, as we enter into it, you know, the question really before us is, are we going to want what God wants? Or are we going to want something else? Are we willing to invest the work to prioritize what God's priorities are? Or are we going to settle for our preferences? Friends, I want to invite us in this season to listen with a willingness to be corrected, to not minimize the scope of God's work, to internalize the gospel of grace, and to be about, really, in this season of making choices, reflecting on life and what kind of world do we want to help create that we put in the work to prioritize what God prioritizes. Let's pray. God, thank you for making your heart clear. There are times when we fail to see it. And as one mentor of mine, Dr. Corey Edwards, said this past week, all of this justice work, all of it must be rooted in your character. You do not change, God. We are the ones who change. God, help us to change, to be more in alignment with your unchanging love and character. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.